0: Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 145. This will be our last episode until Monday, March 4th. I am two hours away from checking into a flight on my phone. My wife and I are going down to Phoenix, and we're doing a little national parking at Cigaro National Park in Tucson, and then a lot of Brewers Spring Training. We'll be reporting back a first-hand account, a day-drinking account of Brewers Spring Training. We'll have that when we come back on Monday, March 4th, but we do have a lot to go over. The Brewers making moves this week. The Big Woo is back. Brandon Woodruff, two-year deal with a third-year mutual team option for 20000000 million. We'll talk about that. Pat Murphy addressed the team as they opened Spring Training in Maryvale, and it got me fired up, ready to run through a metaphorical brick wall. We'll also play some Doc Rivers audio from All-Star Weekend. I could do with less of Doc, doing podcasts, doing TV interviews, radio interviews. This part of the Doc experience I have read about during his time in other markets, and I'm not enjoying it a ton. We are also going to get you set for the second half of the NBA schedule. The Bucks are in Minnesota on Friday on over-the-air broadcast TV. We'll talk about that, too. Badgers get a big win as it relates to your favorite or one of your top ten favorite podcasters having to eat a hat. Big win against Maryland on Tuesday. And Marquette put a pounding on DePaul at Vicer for him last night. We'll break it all down. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time. Yes! The Browns yes! win. Yes. Here comes Melvin to the 25 to the 20. Gordon 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Wisconsin. Record breaking run. We're going to smash up the middle.
1: And there is your Super Bowl
0: Dagger! Booker the drive, gets inside, please in, backed away and stolen by Holiday! Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down! Swinging fly ball! we've got a room at the top of the world tonight the milwaukee bucks are nba champions yeah this is our first extended vacation in quite some time i want to say almost a year and a half where we're going to be gone for more than a week which i know there are those of you out there there are those in our office that will tell me this today oh you're going on vacation huh must be nice must be nice i don't know why we do that what is it about the american work culture We just talked about this on the air on the B93 morning show. It must have been, I don't even know, two weeks ago. It was one of the national days. We were doing trivia revolving around National Plan for Vacation Day or something like that. And we made it a topic of what are you looking forward to? What is on the Google calendar right now? What are you counting down to? A trip to Cancun or you've got a wedding to go to or whatever. We made it a whole thing that morning. But we were talking about it within the context of anytime one of your coworkers or your podcaster, one of the pods you listen to, or whatever, anytime somebody goes on vacation, I do it too. Oh, oh, vacation guy coming through. You always got to do that. I don't know what it is about our American work culture where we're always trying to one-up each other with how many hours we're working. Oh, 60 hours? Huh. Well, it must be nice to work part-time. I don't know why we do that, but we do. And I know when people in our building, if our afternoon guy goes on vacation, hey, I need to fill in for the next week. My wife and I are leaving town. Oh, okay. Well, must be nice. Must be nice. But I will be out of here. It's our first trip to spring training since 2014. Hopefully it goes a little bit better for day one than it did that year. I will never forget this for as long as I live. We went to spring training, first time ever, down in Arizona. We went a little bit later than we are now. This is the first week of spring training. This is the earliest we've ever gone. I want to say we went in the second week of March when we went back 10 years ago. And, you know, when you're in a Midwest city – And you get to an area like Phoenix or you're going to the Grapefruit League for other teams in Florida. One of the niceties about it is you get some baseball in warm weather when you typically wouldn't have that. You're leaving a 25-degree day in Wisconsin and going down to an 80-degree day in Phoenix. And that was a whole part of it that you're excited to do and enjoy that element. Well, we got down there for the first day. We check into our hotel. It's a little brisk. I want to say it's in the 50s maybe. I don't know. I thought it would be a little bit warmer than this. We pick up our rental car. We go to the Brewer game that afternoon, and the clouds roll in, and the temperature dips into the low 40s, and rain starts to come down, but it's mixing a little bit. There's a mix of precip happening in Maryvale, Arizona, no joke. And it must have been 40 or 39 or 40 degrees. And one of the things – I guess I'll see if they still do this. One of the things they do at most spring training facilities is they give you the weather for that day where you are, And then they give you the weather for wherever the home team is from. And this is supposed to make you feel good if you are the person at spring training. So they'll go, weather in Milwaukee, 35 degrees and a rain-snow mix. Weather in Phoenix today, 81. Everybody goes, yeah, everybody's excited. Well, that day, it just happened to not only be a bad weather day in Maryvale in Phoenix, it also happened to be one of those random, really nice March days in Milwaukee. So they did the whole shtick and said... Opening pitch weather in Phoenix, 41 degrees and light rain. And opening day weather pitch in Milwaukee, 75 degrees and sunshine. Whoa! Oh, we couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe that our fortunes went that way. We'll see if they still do that when we go down there this week. It'll be fun, though. Check out the new facilities. When we were there, Maryvale's facility was pretty much regarded as the worst of all the facilities in the Cactus League. They've since upgraded that. That'll be fun to check out. And we're going to go to a bunch of places. I think we're only going to Maryvale on Sunday. We're starting in Tucson, landing tomorrow. I'll give you the whole itinerary. We're landing tomorrow afternoon. Rental car, 90-minute drive to Tucson, going to Cigarro National Park for basically a day, Friday night, all day Saturday, leaving Sunday morning, and then going right to a Maryville game. I think that's the only Maryville game, though. The Brewers have kind of a weird opening schedule. And then we'll just kind of make the rounds. We're staying in Scottsdale, a lot of parks in Scottsdale. We will report back on episode 146 on Monday, March 4th about what the whole experience was like. But looking forward to it. As I recall, the last time I was down there, too, we were able to expense some of it. And I did some reporting, technically, quote unquote, for our AM station. You know what I didn't account for, too, during that trip was the time change. So I had to do call-ins in order to write some of this off. You don't even know what a write-off is. In order to write some of that trip off 10 years ago, which I think is the only reason we were able to go. I had to do call-ins on our AM station, WHBL. They are the Brewer station in our building, and I was going to call in and say, here's what happened today, and here's who's starting today, and what? I think Craig Council. Oh, no, I think it was Ron Reneke at the time. That's how far back we're going. Here's what Ron had to say today about this and that the other thing. Just make a bunch of stuff up. I did not remember, though, that we, I think we lose an hour. So I was having to wake up that whole trip at like 4.30 in the morning and go into the bathroom of our Motel 6 and give a quiet, a whispered, an ASMR NPR report about what was all going on. And then Prince Fielder, what wouldn't Prince Fielder, but and then Ryan Braun had a whole statement in this. And I was just whispering in the bathroom of a Motel 6 so I could save like a hundred bucks on that trip. We won't be doing that this time around. But it'll be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. It's been kind of a rough four months for us personally. So it's good to get out and spend some time doing something totally different. Get out of town and have a good time with that. With that said, let's talk about the Brewers. Let's just go right into it. Pat Murphy. I mean, he got me fired up yesterday. As I said in the blog, when they hired Pat Murphy, And with the kind of things that were happening at that time where it looked like they were probably going to trade Willie and looked like they might trade Corbin, this was right after the season ended and the whole council thing, and it was just kind of a bad time to be a Brewer fan where your homegrown hometown manager not only doesn't stick with you, leaves to go to your most hated rival 90 minutes south. It was a bad moment, a bad couple weeks there for Brewer fans. And they hired Pat Murphy. And I thought, this makes sense. Pat Murphy is not the youngest guy in the world. I think he's in his early 60s. He has been the bench coach for Craig Council for many years. The players are familiar with him. He's a career baseball man. He's been in the sport for 40 years. National championships at the collegiate level. Has had great success at the Major League level, too. He did an interim head coach stint in San Diego. You know, but he's got the chops. He's done this before. He's got the resume. Players seem to like him. There's a familiarity there because he's been with the team. This makes sense for a year or two. That was in my brain. For a year or two, maybe a year. And they brought in Ricky Weeks and it seems like still, I'm not saying they're not, but it seems like they are grooming Ricky to be the next guy. People seem to love Ricky in the organization. He's been working with some of the scouting department. He is very familiar because of that with the current roster, especially the young guys. He's got a lot of energy as we aired in the audio of the introductory press conference where he said, let's bleep and go, and that got me fired up. It just seemed like Pat Murphy, the old baseball guy, is going to hold the fort down for a year or two, and then Rookie's going to take the candle, and that makes sense to me. Well, after watching this speech, Pat Murphy's not here to hold a seat for anybody. Pat Murphy is here to win as many games as possible. Pat Murphy is here to win a pennant. And regardless of what the moves personnel-wise were made in the offseason, this just got me going. I don't care about
1: what others are saying, how much we're going to win. We're going to win this many games because of this, because of this. That's all bull crap. You got to be in the present moment, but we get divided. Oh, am I going to be in the All-Star game? Am I not? Doesn't freaking matter. What matters is what? We win tonight. You got to be willing to be responsible, disciplined, aware. You got to be open to have other people talk to you. Open to look at yourself in the mirror. That's what it's about. But I want to win until they tap us on the shoulder and say, it's over, bro. There's no more games. That's it. That's my expectation. I didn't come in here to participate and say, oh, the old man got a chance to, to manage.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's have a great day, fellas. I love that last part of it because I guess I fall into exactly who Pat Murphy's talking about. They're all oh, the old I guy didn't come got a in job. Coming here
1: to participate and say, oh, the old man got a chance to, to manage.
0: I, I just it just got me going hearing the way he talked to the team, and he credit to him for cleaning it up. I don't think that's the speech. If the cameras weren't rolling, I don't think he would have used bull crap. I don't think he would have used frickin' or freaking or whatever he was there. It would have been a much more colorful situation had the cameras not been rolling. That got me going, though. And now you've got this better offense, we think, for the most part, and you're going to try to figure out the starting rotation, but you've got a great bullpen, and now you've got this really enthusiastic career baseball man who is getting a big opportunity and who is looking to seize that opportunity. And some of the stuff he said in there... I do think we're going to see a different style this year. Not totally. And no knock against Craig Council, even though he's still on the list. And he always will be for what he did. I know that he made the team a perennial winner and all that kind of stuff in the 2018 run and whatever. But just the way that that all went down and where he went, I don't know. There's some article in the Journal Sentinel today, Some of their one of their editorial staff On their sports in their sports department wrote an article about how we should all support Craig Council and even though he went to the hated Cubs that doesn't mean that he turned his back on Milwaukee Milwaukee or the franchise turned their back on him and for that reason we should root for success get out of here I don't even know who the guy was I've never seen this byline before in my life might be made up might be just made up to stir up controversy on social media and get podcasts to talk about it which I guess I walked into that mousetrap. But Craig Council, for what he did, he's always going to be on the list. You just made the list. He's going to always be on that list for me. But Craig Council did make this franchise a perennial winner, pretty much from the moment he got here. 2015 was a weird year when they fired Renicky so early, but after that, they overachieved in 2016. They almost made the playoffs, overachieving in 2017, and then they were basically in the playoffs or in the running for the playoffs. Every year he was there, and a lot of what Craig Council did to get them to that level was squeezing as much toothpaste out of the tube as he could. To do that, he felt like he had to rely on some advanced metrics, baseball analytics, diving deeper into the stats and getting all the computers fired up and win probability and things like that, which, again made the team a team that was winning 85, 88, 90 wins a year. Didn't see a lot of success in the playoffs like that, but it got them there. A lot of enjoyable regular seasons year in, year out, made them a winning team. It does to me, based on that statement, seem like Pat Murphy, and I said this in the blog, and I apologize for the uncouth language. I think he's a little more cock and balls, so to speak. I think he is going to be somebody who every team has an analytics team now. He's not going to totally shut the door and say, get out of here, dorks. I'm not not reading any of those scripts. I'm not reading any of those win probabilities. I don't think he's going to do that. He seems like a guy who is going to be blending old school and new school and going with his gut a little bit more. When he talks about winning today and being focused on today and today only and we worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, some of what craig council would do i think was a little bit too worried about what's going to happen with the rotation or the bullpen tomorrow or a starting pitcher for tomorrow or whatever it seems like if that if i'm reading into it the way that i think i am and i and i'm accurate with this It seems like that means we're going to see some starters stay in games longer, starting pitchers. You know, Council was notorious for pulling a guy at 80 or 85 pitches or whatever the pitch limit was for a certain guy. We're pulling him. I don't care if it's the fourth inning, the third inning, the seventh inning, whatever it is. Even if he's rolling, we'll take him out. Kind of feels like Pat Murphy's not going to do that. Pat Murphy, he might lay down a sacrifice bunt. (laughs) And the old baseball heads who are just dying with this new wave of metrics and analytics that are all home run and launch angle and none of the sack fly, sacrifice bunt, move a runner over. Council was totally anti-sack bunt. I don't even think they laid down a single sack bunt for the last four or five years. If Pat Murphy, old school baseball guy, comes in here and they're laying down sacrifice buttons and hitting sack flies on opening day, all the old school baseball fans are going to be just throwing a parade for Murphy. It does feel like, though, based on the statements he made there, that they are going to be blending these things a bit. The over-under on season wins for this team, as soon as that video wrapped up, I had to check because I had not checked yet. The over-under is 75.5 or 76.5. So what was it last year, 82 or 83, somewhere in there, and they won 90 games. Generally speaking, in the last five or six years, they've been over-under before the year began, around 83, 84, sometimes 85.5. With the loss of Corbin Burns and the loss of Woodruff, which we'll talk about in a second, he is coming back, but won't be back this year, it doesn't sound like. Losing your two front-line starting pitchers is a big deal. And Vegas is looking at that and saying, that's going to cost you about six or seven wins from what our projected wins have been in recent years. After seeing that Murphy speech, I am hammering the over on 75.5. This feels like if, if the team adopts the manager's mentality, which it should at some point if it hasn't already, This feels like a scrappy team that is going to exceed expectations, that's going to maybe battle for another division title, that's going to battle for a wild-card spot. I think they are going to get in that range of eighty to 83, maybe 84, 85. And if everything breaks right, maybe you're in the mid to upper eighties, and you are going to win the NL Central. I'll tell you what, you look around the division, the Brewers, for all the weird stuff that's happened this offseason with Council leaving trading Burns, Woodruff's injury, bringing in Gary Sanchez, bringing in Reese Hoskins. It's been sort of an up-and-down offseason. When you look at the landscape of the NL Central, the Brewers are the only team that has done anything. Cardinals are kind of going status quo, it feels like. There's not been a lot of moves made there. And you don't expect St. Louis to have two down years the way that they had last year. You figure with the dark magic they will bounce back and be closer to 80, 80 80-plus wins and threatening four-division title again, but they haven't done anything. The Cubs, we talked about the whole reason the council went to Chicago. Bigger media market, still close to home, but they can sign anybody. My feeling is, and maybe council will never talk about this, is the primary reason he left is because – The Brewers would do things like trade Josh Hader at the trade deadline and pull the rug out from under him. They weren't ever going to go out and be able to sign frontline players for $200, $300-plus million like the Cubs could. That, to me, was probably the number one reason he went to Chicago. Well, Chicago hasn't done anything. The Brewers have way outspent the Cubs in terms of free agents this offseason. They still haven't even re-signed Cody Bellinger. If it would be so funny... If Mark Adonazio, and I don't know what's going on with Blake Snell. I know we've talked about that, and the Gary Sanchez signing is official now. Blake Snell's still out there. That would be an incredible spite signing. If he would sign Cody Bellinger, who had an MVP caliber year for the Cubs last year, I think Cody Bellinger and his team expected then that the Cubs were going to offer him some four-, five-, six-year deal, $200 million plus, and the Cubs are not budging on that, even though their fan base is crying for them to do something like that. How funny would it be if Mark just gets in there on Bellinger on a one-year, $25 million deal? Because maybe that's all Bellinger can get right now, now that he's been out there for a while. How funny would that be? Now, that would be some spite. That would be more spite than Blake Snell. Because you already have all these outfielders. What would you even need Cody Bellinger for, even though he would be an upgrade over just about any one of the young players? That would be an all-time spite move if he pulled that right before the season started. But the Brewers, when you look at that division... Nobody's done anything, and you could argue the Brewers have done the most, even though they lost their manager and traded away a Cy Young Award-winning starting pitcher. So they're in there with everybody, I would think, with a chance to win that division. But over 75-and-a-half, yes, please. Hammer play. Hammer of Thor play on the over 75-and-a-half season wins. I already did it. I, did, I literally put the bet in yesterday. Max play over 75-and-a-half for the crew. Let's talk about Brandon Woodruff. We thought what he ended up signing this week would be a possibility when the season was over. We knew the injury was bad at that point, and he was going to miss the majority, if not all, of the 2024 campaign. And that still sounds like the way that this is going to play. Remember, we talked at the end of the offseason or at the end of the season with the injury news, knowing he'd be out this year. Is there a chance they sign him to a two-year deal where he gets to rehab this year? And then he has a prove-it situation because with the nature of his injury and now the number of injuries he's had with that shoulder and arm, you don't figure if he just would have floated out there and nobody signed him this year as he's rehabbing, I don't think he's going to get a big deal if he just sits out 2024 and then is a free agent in 2025 because teams are going to be skeptical even if they watch him warm up, even if he puts together pitching showcases for other scouts to go and look and see that he has his velocity back and his movement back. If that's the way it would have played out, where he sits out 2024, he's a free agent in 2025, I don't think he's getting a big deal. He probably gets a one- or two-year deal between 5 to $10 million to prove it. Well, why not do that? If that's what you're going to have to do anyway, why not, A, get paid to rehab, and B, rehab in a place and a facility where you know the training staff, you know the team, and then you're comfortable next year when you have your prove-it year on a team that you've played for your entire career. It made a lot of sense. When they did not tender him a contract and he just walked away, and he talked about this yesterday. He did a sit-down or a Zoom interview with a bunch of Brewer Beat reporters – When they did not offer him a contract during all the arbitration stuff going on in November and December, it kind of felt like that ship had sailed, that they weren't going to offer him that kind of a deal. And Woodruff said as much. He said that he did not think he would end up back in Milwaukee until that phone call was placed about a week ago. And they do end up landing on that kind of a deal. It's a two-year deal, but it also has a third-year team option, which is not something that was reported initially, that I think is a big deal. He's going to get paid $3 million this year to rehab in a facility that he knows, with a team that he knows, and then next year he'll get paid, it looks like between 7 and $10 million in a prove-it year. And depending on how that goes, he could either go to free agency. The option year is a mutual option, so both have to enact it. He could either go somewhere else, or he could make $20 million. That's the third year option. That's a large sum of money. He could either opt out and then restructure with the Brewers or find somewhere else to go, or he could just opt in at whatever he's going to be, 32, 33 years old, and say, yeah, $20 million is a lot of money. Doesn't seem super likely, but that is an added element to the contract that he signed this week. And he said on that Zoom meeting or those Zoom interviews, he did not think that he was going to be back in Milwaukee, but he is. And that is great news for this franchise. Again, is he going to pitch it all this year? I know there are some blogs and there's some speculation out there already of would he be ready in September if this team does make a playoff run or they're in contention? Could he be ready by middle September, maybe just even coming out of the bullpen or in October coming out of the bullpen? Seems not likely at all, maybe a 5 or 10% chance there. So you're saying there's a chance. More, though, you look to next year now where you're going to have Peralta still under contract, and however the rest of these young guys break this year, with Aaron Ashby looking healthy and seeming to pitch with some good movement, at least in the bullpen sessions we've seen from Maryvale, however Ashby factors in, and D.L. Hall and some of these young guys now, you at least next year you know you are going to have Freddie and Woodruff at the top of your rotation. And he is arguably, when you look back at the history of Brewer pitching in terms of starting pitching, his numbers are the best. And he arguably is number one, two, or three on the list of greatest starting pitchers in franchise history. In fact, before last year started, when we were talking about what they were going to do with Woodruff and Corbin and Willie Adamas and all the guys at the end of the year, I think we talked about on the podcast, if you had to offer one long-term deal to either Woodruff or Burns, I think my pick then was Woodruff. With the injury, it certainly complicates the fake scenario now, this hypothetical scenario now. I think at that point, I would have taken Woodruff on a five-year deal over Burns, and if he is healthy and can get back to where he was last year and the year before that in his whole career in Milwaukee, I still stand by that. I still think that he would be my guy there if you had to offer one of those two guys a four- or five-year deal in the $200 million range. Woodruff would be the guy. More consistent overall, has some blow up, sure, but... Just seemed to be a more consistent pitcher when he was healthy. That was big news this week. Good to see Big Woo back in Milwaukee. As they get set to start the Cactus League schedule, I will be there. I think it is the home opener I'll be there for on Sunday afternoon at the American Family Insurance Fields in Maryvale, Arizona. Then we'll be making our way to a lot of different parks over the course of that time. But the Woodruff News and the Pat Murphy audio, I was already fired up anyway. That got me even more fired up for the start of the year. Did you see, by the way, the new parking rules at AmFam Field? I don't know if we talked about this in the podcast yet. We talked about it on the air. There are new parking rules at American Family Field for this upcoming season. And I think it'll end up being okay. My initial thought, though, is that the first couple of weeks of this, particularly opening day, which is a busy day, 44,000 people, tons of cars breaking in there, tailgate season, I think that could be a tad chaotic. They are going to a free-for-all, basically. I assume there will be parking attendants when you turn into AmFam Field's parking lots. There will still be attendants there in the Blaze Orange shirts letting you know where to park. I don't think they're going total chaos where you can just roll up and park anywhere. It does sound like, though, they are getting rid of the people that you pay, that you give money to or you give your card to, and then they give you a slip that you put on your dashboard. That's going away. They're going to try to expedite the situation by taking that away. And when you park, again, I am assuming there will still be attendants there saying, all right, you go here and you go here and you go here. Can you imagine if it wasn't? What if they just take all the attendants away and they just do this QR code to pay and you can park anywhere? I almost want that to happen for the chaos of it. It'd be Lord of the Flies. People would be forming tribes in the parking lot. It'd be a whole thing. And it does sound like you are going to have to find there will be signs everywhere with a QR code on it. Or maybe you can link it up on the Brewer website if people aren't familiar with how to get a QR code. Perhaps you can go onto the Brewer website on your phone or they'll link it up somewhere somewhere and then you pay for parking, you enter in your license plate number, and you pay for parking before you walk into the stadium. Keep in mind, some of the demographic that are still going to baseball games that we're talking about, you're going to be dealing with a lot there. You're going to be dealing with people that don't know what's going on. You're going to be dealing with people that have never heard of a QR code. You're going to be dealing with people, some people maybe, that don't even have the access on their phone to pay for it. Like, what if you just have a boilerplate phone, and you can't get online with it? How do you pay for it then? You're going to be dealing with people on opening day that are too drunk to understand what planet they're on, let alone what a QR code is. It's going to be an interesting opening day or an interesting opening few weeks, I think, with that new rule for the AmFam Field parking lots and the parking structures to see how people wrap their mind around that. I would think there's going to be some people coming back with a ticket or a tow job at AmFam Field in the opening couple weeks. That is new this year, though, and keep that in mind if you're going to a game or a concert. They've got a bunch of concerts there this year. I think that's in play for that as well. All new parking rules at AmFam Field. This summer QR code parking. All right, let's move on to some Bucks conversation. I got to say, I've read a lot from other fans of teams that Doc Rivers has coached that this is a part of the Doc experience. Yes, he's going to win you games and get you the playoffs. And he's had his mishaps in the playoffs. One thing that he does do, though, is he talks a lot. He talks because he's a media guy, too. He talks to different podcasts. He does radio interviews. And he talks honestly, sometimes too honestly about his team as he coached the All-Star game with All-Star Weekend in the rearview mirror in Indiana. Did you see, by the way... We were talking about the Bucs putting in a bid in 2028 or 2029 to host the All-Star Game. You can throw that out the window. The NBA, three days after they spent the weekend in Indianapolis, 72 hours after having to spend three days in Indianapolis, they issued this new edict of, we need you to have, if you're going to host the All-Star Game, you have to have X amount of hotels and X amount of parking, and they're all major markets. There's no way Milwaukee will ever fit that criteria. They spent 72 hours in Indianapolis and said never again. We are never coming back here again. We have no desire to be in this godforsaken state ever again. That did make me laugh. And it is true, if the Bucs did put that bid in, there's no way they meet what the new rules are to host an All-Star game. So you may as well just throw that in the shredder right out of the gate. But Doc was doing interviews all week because he was coaching the All-Star game, as we talked about that weird situation where Missoula for the Celtics coached last year they were the one seed the Celtics were last year, and they're the one seed this year. So that that happens in back-to-back years, they go to the number two team at whatever date, and that was the Bucks. So Doc was coaching the All-Star Game and doing all these interviews, and one of the first viral interviews he had revolved around the fact that he said the job is way tougher than I thought. I thought this is, this is way tougher than I thought it was going to be. Much more difficult to install our system. The schedule's hard. We've had some injuries. Not inspiring. And then he did this interview with Sirius XM NBA Radio, where he talked about how he didn't understand why Buck's ownership even fired Adrian Griffin and wanted him to coach. Personally, I, you know,
1: I'll be honest. I, I told our owners uh, when they called, I said, I think you I don't understand why you're doing this. You know, um, and they said, you know, one of the things they said was, well, it doesn't matter. We're, we've done it now. And um, we, we we want you. And, and so that was a tough one. I didn't, I, that was, that's where you had the hesitation.
0: That's the opposite of the Pat Murphy effect. That was not inspiring at all. I'm going to give Doc Rivers, if you listen to this podcast, fan of the pod, is he in Iowa? Iowa can never host an all star game either. I'm going to give Doc Rivers a little bit of advice that I got in my broadcasting career. I've gotten it many times, and it's advice that I get on the B93 text line almost on a weekly or monthly basis. And that is to shut up and play a song. (laughs) Shut up and play a song, Doc. We don't need that much honesty. How hard is it to say when you get asked these questions, and maybe this is Doc's calling card. Clearly it is. If you listen to the fans like we talked about of the other teams that he's coached over the years, this is something that just comes with Doc Rivers being the head coach of your NBA team. He is going to call players out publicly. He's going to be honest to a fault, not inspiring like that audio clip sometimes either. I would just say, how hard is it when somebody asks you, well, what's it been like? It's been a weird year. You're the coach of the Bucks now. Nobody saw that coming. What's that like? Instead of saying that, instead of saying, I don't even understand why we're do, why are we doing this. Uh,
1: when they called, I said, I think. Instead you, of this. I don't understand
0: why you're doing
1: this, you know. Um, and they said, you know, one of the things they said was, well, it doesn't matter. We're, we've done it now. And... Um, we, we, we
0: want you. So instead of that, I think the easy, the nuke Lelouch answer here is just say, you know what, this is a golden opportunity for me. I've won a ring. I've been to a couple finals. I'm pretty good at managing big stars. Milwaukee has two of the biggest stars in the league. And this is a challenge now to get Giannis' second ring and Dame his, second, his first ring, and I'm up for the challenge. I am very excited to lead two of the 50 or 75 all-time greatest players. I am excited to lead them and go on a playoff run and hopefully get Giannis a second ring and get Dame his first ring. How hard was that? I just came up with that on the spot. I stumbled a little bit, but I just came up with it on the spot. That's a very simple thing to say. You don't have to acknowledge how awkward the situation is or how weird it was that they fired a coach who was 30-13 and and how it sounds like you might have been advising him when he was fired, and now you're the head coach. Looks like a little subterfuge there, too. You don't have to acknowledge any of that. All you have to say is... This is a great opportunity for me personally. I want to win another ring. I want to add to my legacy. I want to add to Giannis's legacy and add to Dame's legacy and the franchise legacy. And we have a golden opportunity to do that. And we're going to do everything we can to bring a ring back to Milwaukee. That's not hard. I don't need a spicy take. I don't need drama. I need a mild. Give me a mild take. You know, I, had a, I had a buddy in Stevens Point when I went to school there. I spent three weeks rooming with one of the foreign exchange students. His name was Rosh Paul. I don't know where he is now, but he was from Pakistan. I had to move in early. He had to move in early. So we were roommates for three weeks before we went our separate ways. And because he was a foreign exchange student, and I introduced him in the most American thing ever, the first thing we did, because he was older than 21, is we got a case of Budweiser and some Papa or Pizza Hut pizza. I think it was Pizza Hut. Nothing more American than that. We took him to Cost Cutters, we got some warm Budweiser, and we got some Pizza Hut pizza. Welcome to America. But because he was a foreign exchange student, he hung out with a lot of the other foreign exchange students that were also on campus early. And one of the guy's names was Tomas, and he was from Mexico. And we went to some Mexican restaurant in Stevens Point. I forget where it even was, and I liked it. And he immediately called it white people Mexican food. <laughs> this is white people Mexican food. That's the spice level I'm looking for from Doc Rivers. White people Mexican food. I don't need this to be the top of the line fire sauce from Taco Bell. Just give me the boilerplate. Great opportunity. Can't wait to get back with the guys. Going to turn this thing around the second half. We're going to figure out the Giannis Dame dynamic. We're going to up the defense and make a run at the title. Instead of, well, I don't know, I don't even know why they fired Adrian Griffin, why they even brought me in. This is weird. This is so weird, guys. I don't need that. And then that led to J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick went off, who used to play for Doc in L.A. with the Clippers. And as Doc was doing all of these tours, and I will say this about the J.J. Redick take. It does kind of feel like, as somebody who has set himself up for excuses in his lifetime... Where you know maybe there's a chance you fail at something, so you start to plant those seeds of, well, the microphone. If I'm doing a bad morning radio, well, the microphone isn't good and the soundboard's falling apart. And you just establish all of those things, so three months down the road, if you fall short of your ratings goal, you've already planted all of those seeds in someone's mind of reasons it didn't work out. It does kind of feel like that's what Doc's doing. And J.J. Redick on first take went banana land I've about this. I've seen the it. trend for years. What's the trend? The trend is always making excuses. Get Doc, we get it. Taking over a team in the middle of the season is hard. It's hard. We get it. Just like getting traded in the middle of the season is hard for
1: a player. We get it. Mm-hmm. But it's always an excuse. It's always throwing your team under the bus. They lose to Memphis. Oh, it's his players. Memphis was playing G League guys and two-way guys. And you look at his quotes over the weekend. Now he wants to take credit for the James Harden trade to the Clippers working
0: out. He wants credit for that. There's just no, there's never accountability with that guy. Yeah, I mean, he's not totally wrong. Where does JJ Redick rank on the all-time hateable Duke players list? If we were to power rank that right now off the top of our heads, he's been pretty good on first take. Although that video went viral and he had 10 plus million views. I don't think I have the audio of him talking about that. That was a day later. They were on first take, and J.J. Reddick was calling out NBA fans where he said he did this whole video breaking down the schematics of a game, and it got 54,000 views. And then I went off on Doc Rivers, and I got 10 million views. And he was kind of scolding fans, saying, well, this is what's wrong with NBA fans. They don't care about the strategy of the game. They just want the hot takes. Well, hey, J.J., newsflash, the show you're on that's making you millions of dollars is called first take. And the godfather of the hot take, Stephen A. Smith, is sitting to your right side. That's all we want. That's all NBA fans want. Yeah, if you put together a great video breaking down the X's and O's for 10 minutes, it's not going to have 10 million views like a 30-second clip where you take Doc Rivers to task like that. Where is J.J. Redick on that list, though? If we made Speaking of lists, if we made a list, is he number one? Leitner, to me, has to be number one. Just all-time cocky, punchable face, hateable persona. J.J.'s got to be two, though, right? If Leitner's one, or is it Grayson Allen? I, I didn't mind Grayson in his time in Milwaukee. In fact, he was much more likable than I expected him to be, as difficult as it was as a Badger fan to then root for Grayson Allen when he was with the Bucks, He wasn't all that bad of a guy, it didn't seem like, but his time at Duke where he was hitting people in the nuts and tripping guys and untying shoelaces and whatever else he was doing. I may have made up that last part. Tying people's shoelaces together and laughing and twirling his mustache. He has to be on the list too. I would think those are the top three, right? Leitner, Reddick, and Grayson Allen. I think that's my order. Leitner number one. Is Wojciechowski on that list? Leitner one, Reddick two, Grayson Allen three. I'd put Woj on that list. He was very hateable. They've just had a lot of guys like that. Kyle Singler, he was really hateable. Shane Battier, where do we fall on Shane Battier? I didn't like Jay Williams either when he was at Duke. It's hard to like any Duke. I can't think of any Duke player I liked. There are some where I didn't mind as much as the other guys. Those would be my top three, though, right? Leitner, we, have to, we may have to cross-reference this at some point. Leitner, Redick, and Allen. One, two, three, I would think. But he was talking about Doc, and then Patrick Beverly, newly minted Buck, who has his own podcast. He was going after J.J. Reddick, and those guys were going back and forth, drama, drama, drama. Doc did do one interview where I liked something he had to say, where he was talking about Giannis, Giannis being a warrior. And then he uses the comparison that we used when they hired Doc. Remember, we talked about the playoff failures for Doc, but I said he's never had a guy like Giannis. When you look back at that Clipper roster, even though it was loaded, he didn't have a killer like Giannis is a killer, who has proven it, who has won a title and done it at the highest level and dropped 50 points in a game-clinching NBA Finals game. He hasn't had a guy like that since Garnett with that kind of work ethic, with that kind of mentality, and Doc makes that same comparison. A
1: lot of Garnett in him. Uh, a lot of Garnett. Now, he doesn't talk. I wish he talked as much as Garnett, uh, but his actions are very similar as far as playing hard, Um You know, in the game the other day, not the Memphis game, the game before, I told him something, so you get whatever you say, coach. And it just, it's it's like he's a warrior. He has that same warrior mentality. I actually told one of my coaches, I said, man, it's the first player that I've had since Garnett that reminds me of Garnett, uh, and that would be honest.
0: I I like that a lot. That's one thing that Doc said during the week. That's 28 seconds that I did not mind of Doc doing all these interviews during the course of All-Star Weekend. Giannis' new documentary dropped on Amazon Prime. I have not watched it yet. I have read rave reviews. If you ever have a chance to read the Giannis book, I forget who the author is, it's outstanding and gives you a total background of his time, his family's time in Nigeria and going to Greece and the difficulties there and having to steal to basically get bread and then the improbable rise in the Greek B-League. It is called, is it called The Improbable Rise? It is. Giannis, The Improbable Rise. I actually have the hard copy of this. It is written by Mirren Fader, F-A-D-E-R. It's a really quick read. It might be 250 pages or 300 pages, but it goes by quick. It's a great read. And it looks like the documentary on Amazon Prime sort of follows that. It follows that timeline, I've heard it's good. I've not had a chance to watch it. I did during that time. I did have a chance to load up on fightingirishwire.usatoday.com slash list slash Duke basketball annoying players all-time Coach K. I love that URL. I forgot Kyrie was there. Kyrie, though, when he was at Duke. Was he hateable at Duke? He's been more hateable in the NBA with some of his takes. The Plumley brothers. I forgot about Miles Mason and Marshall Plumley. Those were just classic Duke guys. John Shire. Forgot about him. He's the head coach now, right? Chris Collins, who is now the head coach at Northwestern. They have Woj at number six. Greg Paulus, who played football at Syracuse, too. He fit that Duke profile, too. He has number five. They have J.J. Redick, number four. Grayson Allen, three. Christian Leitner, two. Oh, they put Coach K at number one. I don't mind that. I don't mind that list. If Coach K is number one, I don't mind that list at all. Coach K. So then that did follow. Well, they had Allen above J.J. So they had Leitner, Allen, and then J.J. Yeah, I forgot about the Plumlee brothers. Anyway, Bucks are back on the floor tomorrow. They start the second half of their schedule with an extremely difficult matchup. A uh, Timberwolves team that just beat them down at Fiserv Forum. A Timberwolves team that is fighting for the number one seed in the Western Conference. That is who they'll be taking on. It's a late tip time, I think, 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock tip time. It's on ESPN, but it is also, for the first time since 2006, and I can't even believe it was 2006, I would have thought it was longer, As a part of what has happened with Bally Sports, where they went bankrupt and Amazon is coming in to rescue them, I'm not sure when these Bucks and Brewers games are going to be available on Amazon Prime, as we were promised. What the timeline is there, I am not sure, and I can't find anything on a Google search. I Why don't you Google it? I did. I Googled it. I couldn't find anything there either. At some point, Bucks and Brewers games, for I'm sure a surcharge, will be available on Amazon Prime. As a part of Bally Sports' wheels falling off, though... Somehow, the rights to these Bucks games were up for grabs for over the air consumption. We have not had an over the air Bucks game where if you just have an antenna, you could watch the Bucks game. That has not happened since 2006, apparently. And I would have guessed even longer than that. I'm surprised it wasn't cable only in 2006. Maybe a handful of games were still on over the air TV in 2006. I remember as a kid. Turning Bucks games on with my dad, we'd watch him on channel eighteen in the low to mid or the early to mid nineties, and then later channel twenty four, UPN, after a Steve Harvey marathon, or a Martin Marathon, or a Moesha Marathon. We would have Bucks games on right after that, after two hours of fresh prints. Channel 24. And then they made the move to cable, and there was something before Fox Sports Wisconsin, I forget what it was called, or maybe it was Fox Sports Wisconsin, then FSN North, or it was reverse, and then Bally took over. I forget what the order of all that was. Then they were all cable after 2006. I could not find anything from the 90s on YouTube of an over-the-air Bucks broadcast. I did find something from the late 80s, though, where they were on Channel 18. This was the intro package back Gear then. Beer
1: from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less. Century Insurance. For all your insurance needs, This video your package is agent. Where all's well, even when all isn't. Graphics. PowerPoints. PowerPoint. We've got what it takes. McDonald's, where it's a good time for the great tech. Toyota, who reminds you that it's a good feeling to buckle up for safety. And buy Speed TV and Appliance. The right price. Customer
0: satisfaction guaranteed. The bucks are going strong on TV and TV. And that's Gentle Bucks. Lucky bucks are going strong on TV 18. I'm going to be charging all of those businesses. What was all on there? I'm going to send them invoices century Miller light. If I sent Miller an invoice for $200 for advertising on strange brew podcast, what do you think the chances are? They just pay it because it's easier than trying to figure out where it came from. Well, we probably did that. We sponsor a lot of podcasts. Why not that one? If I just start to send out random invoices, how much money do you think I would get back? I'm, I don't think it's zero. I do not think it's zero. I think somebody steps into that. I don't think it's zero. We're going to send all seven of those. What was it? Wendy, Century, Miller, Speedway, True Value. We're going to send all of those places invoiced and see if we get back 100 bucks from any of them. They are going to be on over-the-air TV, though. It's on WMLW, and I think it's also on WBAY, Channel 2 in Green Bay. WMLW is a subsidiary of Channel 58. CBS 58. If you're over the air in the Milwaukee Sheboygan area, I think it's Channel 49 or Channel 7, maybe even over the air. That's pretty cool though. And there's going to be ten of them. This is the first one is Friday, but there will be ten over the air TV broadcasts for the Bucks. That's pretty neat. Hasn't happened obviously in a long, long time in almost 20 years. They get back underway on Friday night in Minnesota. And real quick, we'll hit on college hoops. Badgers got a big win for the hat game. Holy cow. We said on Monday they need to beat Maryland. Unequivocally, if I am not going to be consuming a hat, if I'm not going to start the hat diet... Then they need to win on Tuesday, and they did barely. They had a lead most of the night, eight to ten points. Had to hang on at the end, miss free throws. I'm telling you, make your free throws. It is the siren song of March. Make your free throws. They finally knocked down a few late. Max Klezma did, and they hung on to win by four. They were favored by nine. They win 74 to 70. So they're 18 and nine. They are 10 and six. Third place in Big Ten. They've got a lot of quad one wins. I think they're in. Latest Bracketology still has them as a five seed. There's only four regular season games left. I don't think, knock on wood, I don't think you go from five to out in this limited amount of time, in this small amount of games. Next up, they are at Indiana. They have all week off, or the rest of the week off. They're at Indiana on Tuesday. Nothing going on this weekend for the Badgers. Meanwhile, Marquette got to victory number 20 on the year. They put it on DePaul. DePaul is awful. How is DePaul a private institution that has a history in college basketball and a nice arena, and they have basically, that's the Chicago version of Marquette, right? That type of university, even though a lot of the Chicago people come up to Marquette and they don't go to DePaul. How are they that bad? 3-22, 0-14 in conference. Yeesh. And Marquette, they were favored by 28, and they almost doubled that at some points. They won handily 105-71. to Tyler Kolick, who looks like he could play at Duke, doesn't he? Doesn't Tyler Co- Tyler Kolick has a real Duke face? If you put a Duke jersey on him, how much would you hate Tyler Kolick? I know my Badger fan friends probably hate him anyway. He had 18 assists last night. He had 13 at halftime. That set a new school record that was once held by a young man named Glenn Rivers. Glenn Doc Rivers. He had the record at 16, and Kolick broke that last night with 18 assists in the 105-71 to win. They stay at home as well, as we talked about on Monday's podcast. They've got a run of games at home. Xavier, not Xavier, Xavier, will be in town at Serve, a 4 o'clock tip time on Saturday. Then they've got one more home game, then one on the road, and then the rematch with UConn. UConn got stomped by Creighton, and that was in Creighton. I'm telling you, it goes back to the Monday conversation. Winning games... On the road, regardless of whether you're a top 10 team and you're playing at an unranked team this year, it it, it seems like it's almost every night you see a home dog that's a 10- to 12-point underdog winning outright. Creighton, I think, was only a 5- or 6-point underdog at home. They're in the top 25. They spanked number one UConn. That was earlier in the week. We will get that rematch, though, between Marquette and UConn at Pfizer Forum on Wednesday, March 6th that'll do it for us here today and it'll do it for us for an extended period of time this is the first real break we've taken on the podcast there will be no podcast next week episode 146 will be coming back from spring training on monday march 4th have a happy sit weekend a great work week next week we'll chat with you then